Hello there, you're listening to the Watson's Daily Podcast with me, Peter Watson, on Friday the 26th of February. Today, I'll be joined once more by Imogen Drummond and Duncan Balcon, who are both Watson's Daily Ambassadors. Hello there. Um, so today we are going to be talking about um, a few uh, interesting topics in today's Watson's Daily, as normal. Um, so who any any of you want to go first? <laughs> Imogen, take it away. Okay, go I'll go, go first. Go um, so the story that I found really interesting this morning was the fact that India had imposed really strict new rules on social media platforms, particularly Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um so we know that recently there had been, I think you described it as dissatisfied rumblings from the government um, on Watson's yep. Daily about Twitter's inaction regarding the ongoing farmers' protests. And mm-hmm. they have now enforced new guidelines that that will make Twitter much more accountable. So they need it. Um, companies have to appoint a chief compliance officer, create a law enforcement coordination position and create another position for a grievance redressal officer and these all must be Indian residents and essentially the rules kind of culminate in the fact that um, if the government doesn't like a particular tweet it will be taken down Um, so quite interesting in that it kind of treads the line between censorship and kind of holding tweeters accountable Um, Mm -hmm. it's a bit of a grey area I think Um, Mm. What do you guys think? Well, I'd say that I mean, this seems to be, there seems to be um, a lot of this kind of thing going on um, of late. So we had um, last year a similar, well, a similar sounding thing happening in Turkey, where um, President Erdogan is is, you know, he 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 was facing a lot of opposition, and so he decided to impose more. Um, stringent controls on uh, social media companies. One of which the he he, um, he got them to try to have some sort of like lo- I, I don't know what they were called, but some kind of local representative in the country, so that if anything went on that he deemed dodgy, um, they would have to, they would be um, you know they, these people individuals would be called in to see the government um and you know they would have to be accountable so that was one thing i mean i remember that was happening last year so it's interesting um as well that india so from last year we remember that um when there were border problems with uh, with uh, with himalaya uh, in the himalayas um and um you know, Chinese and Indian troops clashed, resulting in 20, I think it was, Indian soldiers dying. Um, India, uh, it banned uh, a number of uh, very popular uh, Chinese apps at the time. And then this was followed again uh, a few months later by by, by the banning of more apps. Um, so, you know, now, uh, uh, you know, most recently, um, you know, as you as you rightly said, they they got in um, with with Twitter. They were they were uh, you know voicing their displeasure with Twitter and have now followed that up with this, which just takes things to another level. Mm-hmm. So it's quite interesting because the thing is, is that India is one of those 
markets that has enormous amount of potential you know a a, a, a very big um youthful population um it's still yet to have lots of uh, you know, a good, like a mature, mature um, smartphone, you know, or penetration of smartphones in the market. So there's a huge amount of upside potential, which is why you've got a lot of these um, uh, uh, big tech companies setting up there. So it, it's just, I would say that it maybe will um, rein in some of the expectations of big uh, of big tech companies that have aspirations to do incredibly well in India. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think it'd be really interesting, particularly, like you said, with these new these new kind of officer positions having to be Indian residents as well. You'd imagine they're probably going to be more susceptible to government pressure than maybe the same role if they were based at Twitter's headquarters. Um, mm. And I think if you've got someone that could therefore be more susceptible to, like you say, to, like I said, to a, to a government agenda, you are getting really close to that line between, um, like I said, censorship and anti-free speech, essentially, mm-hmm. in terms of what's allowed to get out there. I think that, like Peter said, is going to be a really interesting thing going forward. Yeah. <clears throat> because, because of the amount of smartphones in India, it's one of these countries where a lot more people have smartphones or have uh, mobile phones and landlines just because of the infrastructure so it's a massive massive market for these companies to get into and it'll be really interesting kind of morally where they draw that line between we want to boom in this marketplace and well are we actually stopping people from having free speech in their own country and i think that'll be a really interesting kind of dilemma to watch the big tech companies get around exactly just to, just to say sorry just a quick point there is that actually i think that the smartphone penetration in india is not that high um and that's you know that's what the you know that that's what the uh, upside is that yes there are more people who are getting um, more mobile phones but mm. smartphones are still not huge I mean they there's been a big uptick mainly from the cheap uh, cheaper models from that uh, that China provide from makers like um, Oppo and Xiaomi and stuff like that mm. um, not so much Apple because they're so blimmin expensive. Um, but yeah, it, there's still a lot of potential for, for smartphone growth. But anyway, I'll shut yeah. up. Now. <laughs> well, so, and you, yeah. you, would, have, you, you yeah. would imagine that that smartphone growth, however, would be slowed down if mm. if the consumers didn't think they could use the full range of apps properly yeah, yeah. because they were being restricted. Yeah. So yeah, those two kind of kind of play with each other, really, aren't they? Because if if you you're not going to download get a smartphone to download a load of apps that you can't say what you want to say on because the government are blocking mm. you. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. also like the particularly the context of these new rules being the farmers protest it is very political, mm. you know, and that really does mm. tread the line of, you know, getting the social media companies to comply with what the government wants. And mm. I think there's, you know, I'm all for the argument that, you know, people should be held accountable for what they say on social media, you know, when when mm. people are expressing opinions that are border on hate speech or whatever else but I think it's it, it's very much a blurred area in this mm. particular context because because the context is so political mm. I mean I do wonder whether you know on a wider basis whether um, that because there's, there seems to be a lot of pressure at the moment on um, big tech companies on um, their own kind of self-policing and uh and you know that kind of thing as to whether they will try themselves to try to 
impose measures that will show that they are making some sort of effort to 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 control the content mm. so but i but it's it's a yeah it is a very it is a very difficult area and it does bring in lots of um very thorny issues i think mm. do you yeah, have sorry i was just going to ask peter whether peter had a particular instinct as to how you think twitter might react do you think they'll be compliant or do you think they will push back against it Mm, I mean, the thing is, they—it's—it's they, it's funny that um, you know Jack Dorsey uh, is is quite keen on. He always seems to take quite keen to um, take to take the high moral or be seen to take the high moral mm. ground. But then, then like you know, you then see on the other side, Twitter do nothing to stop internet trolls. Uh, so you know, to stop trolls on on the, on their um, thing. You know, they seem to make a token effort, but don't do any. So they. They seem to be. They seem to pick and choose um, the battles that they're willing to fight. Um, I mean, I, I guess really what what they what all of these companies will be thinking is: is it worth, you know, um, uh, uh, obeying these new rules, um, given the upside potential in this market, or do they? actually go do you know what you know we'll stick to our guns and we'll withdraw mm. i think that they will probably want to stay in there mm. and they'll uh, they'll try and they'll try and do something to appease critics but i think that the the i think that the desire to do well in a in a, a country with big potential will override um the the you know the other stuff mm. But there we go. Uh, that's very deep. Yeah. Um, so um, happy Friday. So anyway, <laughs> happy, happy Friday, everyone. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, uh, are you are you going to be keeping it light, Duncan? Uh, I'll try. Okay. <laughs> best, best as I can. Best as I can. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a yeah. tad optimist. I try to keep things as light as possible. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I want to talk about Klarna this morning. Um, I, okay, always, yeah. I always like talking about Klarna because I think there's just yeah. there's so much intrigue there. Um, I think yeah. it's interesting because obviously we were talking recently. They're they're now going to be subject to regulation by by the Financial Conduct Authority, mm. which you'd have thought would rein them in a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. But they've just reported kind of a forty six percent rise um, in terms of transaction volume over twenty twenty. So obviously they've had a really good year um, despite coronavirus mm. and everything. And they're yeah. also looking in the next round of funding to um, raise a load more money, kind of tripling their original value up to kind of thirty one billion dollars sort of level. Uh, and they're looking mm -hmm. for another kind of 800 million to a billion dollars. And that's only mm -hmm. six months after they last went for, I think, 650 million. Um, yeah. Which makes them sound like they're doing really well and it's all glamour and all glitz and fantastic. Mm -hmm. My concern here is they are really, really highly exposed um, to the demographic of people that are most susceptible with unemployment and things like that. Mm -hmm. And with that kind of further regulation they're going to be subject to, it'll be interesting to see if a lot of these people that have been really using the kind of buy now pay later facilities if they mm -hmm. then start defaulting whether mm -hmm. the fca are going to go yeah fair enough your business rights are all right or we don't actually like the way you've been doing business and therefore clara might not be able to recoup quite a lot of those defaults mm -hmm. i think, I think mm -hmm. they, they're really really exposed at the moment and, and could suffer um, quite substantially with the amount of money they've obviously laid out that they're waiting for people to pay back and it'd be interesting mm. to see how much of that they're able to get back if i say the fca aren't too too fond of them mm. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a very, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a tricky area, this. Um, I mean, it's fine when, when economies are going well, you know, buy now, pay later. Um, but when the wheels fall off the economy and things don't go so well, and especially if um, their demographic is, is suffering financially, which they are, um, then, uh, you know, you've got a bit of a recipe for something not very, not very nice. Um, and... I mean, I think it maybe it's a bit overly cynical to say, well, look, they're raising all this money in, in anticipation that they're going to be facing loads of um, defaults. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, presumably they'll they'll say, oh no, we're doing this for growth and that, but um, I just, yeah, I mean, it maybe maybe what it means is they're raising this money. You know, as I said in here, it might mean that it, it helps Klarna to style it out until. Um, until the economies pick up, because that's the thing. I mean, I I think that the the base case that most people are considering is the fact is um, a, a, a sharp recovery in economies, um, and so it, they won't have too. I don't. I think that they will be assuming that they will not have too long to wait before things get back on track again, mm. and in which case they'll be mm. okay. But it's just that. What about the gap between now and when these economies are going to pick up? I think that is that's the danger area for the moment. Um, but um, but yeah, like you say, they are under consideration um, from from the FCA. I think also the level of um, income within households is potentially a bit arbitrary at the moment because we've still got furlough, we've still mm. got a lot of government support coming in. You know, so it's it's yep. very easy for people to buy now without thinking about mm-hmm. like the actual economic reality of later when furlough ends and you know yep. we get a wave of redundancies so there's definitely mm-hmm. a danger I think of people yeah buying now but then being you know two months down the line when everything changes being like oh yikes mm. I actually can't pay later because I yeah. overestimated what my kind of financial state would be yeah definitely mm. and there's talking about that as well um there's been a lot in the news recently about how much more we're saving as a country as an average household and there's a really really mm. interesting article in the ft today um pointing out that actually that that day is all well and good but it's massively skewed because the wealthier people the kind of haves have been able to save a lot more than they would have been doing and have not maybe mm. not so much so you, you'd yeah. have to question whether actually the the Klarna demographic fall into the, the lot that actually haven't been able to save as much. So like you said, with, with, yeah. with the kind of uncertainty as to whole household income, may may yeah. not be, like you said, may not be in the position they thought they would be to pay it back, even though kind of the overall mm. average saving figures appear to be higher. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, that is, that's an, that is an interesting point. And uh, obviously only time will tell. We know we'll, we'll just have to see um, how how things go. But um, uh, yeah, it's it's... It, I think things are. I think things are a, a bit precarious. Yeah. I think we just stage. need to hope that when government support phases out, it's done so in order that the economy just doesn't drop off a cliff. You know. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. absolutely. So if we leave that now and come back to it later, so to speak. Uh, are you? <laughs> yeah. a, I, I'm terrible with these segues. I apologise. Uh, Peter, are you keeping it light, or are you <laughs> going to keep it more meaty this morning? <laughs> hey, um, I'm gonna actually yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep it. Uh, I'm gonna we'll keep meet substitutey. So, yeah, 
all mixed up. I'm mixed so up sorry. That doesn't have the same ring. That doesn't have the same <laughs> ring to it, does it? But but um. But anyway, yeah. Um. I I really like the um the story today about Beyond Meat. Um. The fact that it signed this deal with McDonald's and Yum Brands. So Yum Brands is the one that owns the you know, KFC, Taco Bell, Pizza Hut. You know all those all those guilty pleasures. Um, or just pleasures, um, and um, you know, I just think that this is this is a humongous deal um, that you know that that covers so many fast food restaurants, and I think that this is going to be very important for the company because it means that they will obviously this will this will mean a, mean, um, a big increase in the volume of of demand, which will mean that they will have to presumably have to increase production um capacity which means that they will get better benefits of of the economies of scale um and that means in turn that not only will it be able to provide these uh these these uh, customers with um with with uh, with you know with products that is cheaper to produce um They'll also not so at the at the restaurants. They'll they'll also be able to sell their sell their wares in supermarkets for cheaper than they are doing at the moment. Because I think at the moment they are either roughly similar or slight or a bit above the the equivalent price of um, the meat products, be they you know um, uh, protein cylinders or, or discs, <laughs> for instance. Um, you know, so uh, do you, you know, it just, it, it, yeah, but but it will drive those prices down. It will mean that there's more adoption of this stuff, and if there's more adoption of this stuff, then you know that's that that could be very interesting um, for the planet. Not so interesting for the farmers, um, unless they're you know involved in making this the pea protein <laughs> and stuff. But you know, it's. Yeah, I think it's a it's a major development. Yeah, I think it's brilliant news. I think two of the biggest barriers to kind of mainstream uptake to vegetarian alternatives is cost and availability. Um, so if mm-hmm. everything that you said kind of comes to comes to actually happen, the prices will be lower, which I think will allow a huge like increase in the groups of people that can afford to go like more aware what am I trying to say go more vegetarian um and on top of that I think being able to get meat substitutes at mainstream eateries like McDonald's and KFC will be absolutely huge because people go to those out of habit and if the choice is then like on the menu like in front of them I feel like it would just it just makes sense to integrate mm. it more into your diet and I was saying earlier like I, mm. I don't think the aggregate change for reducing meat consumption will come from people going like 100% vegan or 100% vegetarian I think it will mm. come from a large proportion of the population like occasionally going for that meat-free burger or occasionally like mm. getting those vegetarian sausages which I think that mm. will allow I think if they can get to a stage where everyone says what do you fancy i'll you know do you want a i don't know a, a pork a, a lamb burger a, a you know a, a a beef burger or a you know a beyond meat burger and people go you know and people see it as a as the a viable thing 
that is that would I think that's the holy grail for mm. for this company. They want to make it as normal as possible. So rather than a, I need this because I'm a, you know, because that's the thing, isn't it? You know, the proportion of vegans and vegetarians as a proportion of the entire population, on obviously that depends on the country and religions and things, but is say in this, uh, say over here, um, is still very low. So as a company, you don't want to, ideally, you don't want to just concentrate on that very, very small percentage of the population. What you want to do is to make a product that appeals mm. to everyone. And I think that, you know, by having these kinds of alternatives in more places and, you know, more venues and more being more available normalizes it and it may help them with sales you know in in supermarkets and things like that as well so it's all in all it, it's good and i think that um you know if more people have meat alternatives um it might also be quite good you know if, in the future if if there is another or hopefully not another pandemic and there's mass shutdown and stuff um this the production of this stuff is much less you know involves much fewer you know much less people um it's and, and and the you know as a result um there's much less i think there's less likelihood of supply chains being disrupted mm. um you know if there if there were to be another one we, whereas of course you know last year we saw there were there were meat shortages in america specifically um but um but yeah you know the fact that you don't use so many people in such a confined space as well um, you know, hopefully that means that there will be less supply chain disruption in the event of another pandemic. But I suppose that is kind of a hopefully uh, a point that that is more of an <laughs> academic thing rather than anything else, because we don't yeah. want that to happen again, do we? <laughs> um, so anyway, I think I think actually we'll just we'll just close it there. Um, but it's it's been um, it's been good fun. So so thank you, um, Imogen and, and Duncan, for for your time today um thank you to the listeners for um for support continuing to support this podcast because we really do appreciate it um and just um i i guess really all all that needs to be said is uh, uh i hope everyone has a good weekend uh, if you are listening to this on friday um i am uh doing a uh, a webinar later on um today um and uh you know this this will be a monthly thing so if if this got, i'm not sure whether i'm putting this out on friday today or uh some point over the weekend but um we're going to be doing a a hopefully a regular monthly um chat with jake shogger of the commercial um law academy um and um it's going to be stockbroker versus lawyer. So I'm the I'm the stockbroker. He's the lawyer, and we talk about. Um, we will do a review of the month's news um, from a sort of markets type viewpoint, which will be me, and from a legal viewpoint, um, which is for Jake Sugar. But there you go. So that's that's where we got today. Um, thank you very much for your time. Um, hope you have a great weekend, and uh, I thanks, will speak everyone. to you again soon. Many thanks. Bye.